Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, December 13th, 2023, the 1057th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, it seems pretty clear that we are in a phase of mass disclosure right now. There are stories being blasted throughout the normie sphere about a lot of things people didn't think would ever break through into that central narrative bubble. Stories that we've talked about for a long time, rerun after rerun after rerun. And we sit there shocked thinking, how can people not realize this yet? Now, every time we have one of these rerun cycles, more people do wake up, but it still never seems to reach 
this critical mass of understanding to the point where we can actually move on to the next step in that narrative's process. Now, a lot of that is because the mainstream media will not discuss certain subjects and people who we imagine to be on our side avoid them completely or kind of make light of them if and when they actually mention them, which is not often. They make important subjects seem like they don't matter at all. But a lot of things are breaking through right now. And so I want to talk about some of those and then get into what I really want to focus the show today on. But sometimes you just got to clear up all the normie news and get it out there. And I want to start with a very strange article in The Hill. This is an actual headline in an opinion piece in The Hill, which is a mainstream outlet. Joe Rogan thinks it's a very fair and balanced independent outlet, or at least that's what he was saying a year or so ago. Maybe he has learned since then, but that's ridiculous. There has never been any points at which The Hill is a serious and unbiased news outlet. Here is the headline, and this is from Mary Beth Pfeiffer and Dr. Pierre Corey, who himself appeared on Joe Rogan's podcast back in 2021 to talk about ivermectin. But the headline, this is bigger than COVID. Why are so many Americans dying early? Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Robert Califf recently took to X to mourn the catastrophic decline in U.S. life expectancy. But his post, which hit on smoking, diet, chronic illness, and health care, ignored the obvious. People are dying in abnormally high numbers, even now, and long since COVID-19 waned. Yet public health agencies and medical societies are silent. Now, this article is already making a critical error that would lead a savvy reader to wonder, are these people trying to put one over on me? By continuing to repeat the official story about COVID-19, that there was ever a point where COVID-19 was a very deadly pandemic, this virus just floating around everywhere, killing people. That's not what happened. Life insurers have been consistently sounding the alarm over these unexpected or excess deaths, which claimed 158,000 more Americans in the first nine months of 2023 than in the same period in 2019. That exceeds America's combined losses from every war since Vietnam. Congress should urgently work with insurance experts to investigate this troubling trend. With the worst of COVID behind us, annual deaths for all causes should be back to pre-pandemic levels or even lower because of the loss of so many sick and infirm Americans. Instead, the death toll remains, quote unquote, alarming, quote unquote, disturbing and deserving of, quote unquote, urgent attention according to insurance industry articles. Actuarial reports used by insurers to inform decisions show deaths occurring disproportionately among young working age people. Nonetheless, America's chief health manager, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, opted in September to archive its excess deaths webpage with a note stating, quote, these data sets will no longer be updated. Now, again, it's very clear that all of this is premised on COVID being a very deadly pandemic talking about COVID deaths, as if the increase in deaths in 2020 and 2021 was due to COVID and not data manipulation and fraud and a deadly hospital treatment protocol all premised on a test that they knew didn't work. Now, a lot of people on quote unquote, our side think that Pierre Corey is some kind of hero and maybe he's a very good man. Maybe he's a very smart man. 
But then you would have to explain why he is saying these things that obviously aren't true. Is he protecting his status within his industry and his reputation? Is he protecting the industry in general? Or is he trying to ease this into the minds of people who still think COVID was a very deadly pandemic? We can talk about the probability of these various options and the morality of these various options. But one thing that is not an option is pretending that it is true that COVID was a very deadly pandemic. For whatever reason, people still think that saying that is okay, as if that isn't the problem. Believing that COVID was a very deadly pandemic, that could happen again, and that we would have to respond to in some similar ways again, that is part of the problem. We should be extremely wary of anyone who is attempting to preserve the underlying fundamental falsehoods on which all of this is based. I have made that same argument when it comes to election fraud claims, and we will discuss some more of that today as well. Back to the article and skipping forward. COVID-19 claims do not explain the increase in incurred claim incidents, the Society of Actuaries said. COVID-19 deaths dropped 84% from the first three quarters of 2021 to the same period in 2023. So we are no longer having COVID deaths reported. They are saying that the deaths dropped. That's not technically accurate. What's accurate is reported deaths attributed to COVID have dropped. There is no real basis for believing there were COVID deaths to begin with. To some extent, we know what is killing the young with an actuarial analysis of government data showing mortality increases in liver, kidney, and cardiovascular diseases and diabetes. Drug overdoses also soared nationwide, but not primarily in the young working class. Therein lies the most pressing question for insurers, epidemiologists, and health agency officials. Why is the traditionally healthiest sector of our society, young, employed, insured workers, dying at such rates? Public health officials aggressively oversaw the pandemic response for better or worse. Why aren't they looking into this? Skipping down again, lockdowns limited access to education, social interaction and health care with documented harm to childhood development, mental health and the economy. Treatment protocols dictated how doctors should deliver COVID care, primarily in hospitals and with expensive medicines and limited early access to generic drugs that might have helped. And oh, yeah, they were just giving people tests and vaccines in vans outside Target. Vaccines were given to more than 270 million people, among them babies, pregnant women and workers under employer mandates. The therapeutics warp speed emergency use authorization must be part of any post pandemic analysis in light of more than one million reports of possible harm to the vaccine adverse events reporting system and a new Yale University study validating a chronic post vaccination syndrome. And of course, got to mention warp speed, got to pin it to Donald Trump, got to leave out the part where Donald Trump actually recommended all of those therapeutics. That would have made an emergency use authorization impossible. And those therapeutics were blocked by the totally infiltrated and co-opted health agencies under the federal government. They write actuaries and industry analysts predict excess deaths will continue among people with life insurance through 2030 and are anticipated to be highest at younger ages. This prediction defies normal expectations of mortality for a robust population of people with life insurance. 
Now consider how other disability afflicted, poorly insured Americans may fare. So all sorts of young people are going to die by 2030. What could it be due to? Is it due to long COVID? Well, (laughs) of course not. Is it due to the vaccines, which aren't vaccines? Well, yeah, it seems like there's something to do with those vaccines to blame for this massive and growing problem. And whether this is some slow moving disclosure op to obfuscate what the real problems are and maintain the idea that we are subject to very deadly pandemics and would have been well off with a vaccine if only it had worked or whether we are seeing the first stages of legitimate public disclosure about all this. The point is that the central narrative is having to incorporate this story that they have tried to hold off for a very, very long time with all of their resources, including government directed censorship. Now, I have absolutely no doubt that at the point a critical mass of Americans understand that the vaccine was a very, very bad idea for them to get. We will see the blame Donald Trump for the vaccine op kick into full gear in a way we probably haven't seen before. We've seen rerun after rerun, cycle after cycle now for nearly two years, certainly a year and a half. And the Ron op has incorporated it. People on our side have pretended to fall into that as part of that Ron op, as part of that establishment op, as part of the get Trump op. There is a lot of incentive to be the formerly Trump supporting person who now thinks that Trump is a very, very bad guy because of the vaccine. Why won't he say the thing about the vaccine? I just can't trust him until he takes responsibility for the vaccine I chose to take. Trump didn't force anybody to get the vaccine. There is no argument that it is Trump's fault. And it's important for people to understand this as they watch the op actually emerge and show itself. There's an intentional effort out there that has been building for a couple of years to claim that Donald Trump is responsible for genocide due to this toxic vaccine, despite the fact that he didn't make it and he didn't mandate anyone to get it. He basically just said, yeah, I think it's a good idea. It's also kind of remarkable and to me hilarious That many of the people trying to get Trump to take on the full responsibility for the vaccine with some claim to moral necessity for him to do this, those same people are like, well, okay, I guess if he does win the Republican nomination, then I will vote for him. But in the meantime, I'm going to let everybody know that he was a participant in genocide. Like, oh, So you're going to vote for the guy that participated in genocide if he has a little R next to his name in the presidential election next fall. Is that what you're saying? So it's not that genocide is a deal breaker for you. It's just a negotiation tactic to get your guy over the finish line. And of course, they forget that Ron DeSantis actually had televised events where he was sticking needles in the arms of of 94-year-old World War II veterans and Holocaust survivors. But the point is to be cognizant watching this emerge. We are now incorporating the idea that the vaccines aren't good. And once people understand that, blame will be shifted and directed toward Donald Trump and MAGA, of course. But let's continue with some more normie news. This is the New York Post today. Hunter Biden ducks House interview under threat of contempt, insists Joe not financially involved in foreign business. 
And Hunter gave a little speech today. So let's hear what he was told to say. But I'm also here today to correct how the MAGA right has portrayed me for their political purposes. I am first and foremost a son, a father, a brother, and a husband from a loving and supportive family. I'm proud to have earned degrees from Georgetown University and Yale Law School. I'm proud of my legal career and business career. I'm proud of my time serving on a dozen different boards of directors. And I'm proud of my efforts toward global business relations. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They've ridiculed my struggle with addiction, they've belittled my recovery, and they've tried to dehumanize me, all to embarrass and damage my father, who has devoted his entire public life to service. For six years, I've been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine, shouting, where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. During my battle with addiction, my parents were there for me. They literally saved my life. They helped me in ways that I will never be able to repay. Of course, they would never expect me to. But in the depths of my addiction, I was extremely irresponsible with my finances. But to suggest that is grounds for an impeachment inquiry is beyond the absurd. Now, apologies for the sound there, but I wanted to get at least part of what Hunter was saying. That is just the sound as it is. Fox News ran the same footage with the same background noise. Hunter is giving these comments outside of the U.S. Capitol. And so you heard what that was all intended to communicate. All of this is some fever dream by those MAGA conspiracy theorists. It is all about getting Joe, even though Joe was not involved in Hunter's business in any way. He's had some problems with drugs and he's made some bad financial decisions, but these MAGA Republicans won't stop attacking him and his family and everyone associated with him. There's no way at all that Joe Biden was involved in Hunter's business, not with the spy chief of China, not with the energy companies in Burisma that his dad was being investigated for that whole quid pro quo, and definitely not with the bio lab stuff in Ukraine. There's no way any of that revolved around Joe Biden being the vice president and now the fake president. Hunter was not selling access to his father and not accepting payoffs for his father going along with the agenda of the global regime 
All of that is a conspiracy theory made up by MAGA. Yes, it happens to be evidenced in the report on the Biden laptop done by Marco Polo in great length and great detail over the course of 640 pages. But all of that is also made up and They're just trying to impeach Joe Biden to take this great president out of his role as fake president. They just don't want him to keep being so great. So they are making this whole thing up to get rid of Joe Biden. The Post article says first son Hunter Biden made a shameless plea for public sympathy outside the Capitol on Wednesday, skipping a transcribed interview with the House Oversight Committee under the threat of being held in contempt. President Biden's son had received a subpoena to be interviewed by the Oversight Committee behind closed doors at 9.30 a.m. Instead, he began his surprise five-minute speech about 10 minutes later. House Republicans said that Hunter's decision will propel forward a planned Wednesday evening vote to formally authorize an impeachment inquiry that began September 12th to look into Joe Biden's role in his son and brother's foreign dealings. Hunter Biden's legal team, led by high-powered attorney Abby Lowell, repeatedly sought a public hearing where House Democrats could grandstand rather than an initial closed-door deposition in which committee members and attorneys would ask questions. Now, I think there's a large chunk of the community that believes Hunter Biden has been well under control for quite a long time at this point. Whatever testimony Hunter might give to Congress, whatever information he might divulge, All of that has already been collected. It is extraordinarily unlikely that committee testimony and committee hearings would produce any new information whatsoever. It is just a public show for public disclosure so that the public begins to or continues to understand that, yes, Joe Biden, the fake president, is indeed corrupt, as had been reported For the nearly 45 years Joe Biden had been in politics before he started running against Donald Trump. This is not a MAGA conspiracy theory. Joe Biden has always been corrupt. Joe Biden does not represent the people of the country. Joe Biden's constituents are corporations and global powers whom he has always served. He was mentored in politics for three decades by a Klan leader. Unless Joe Biden is the world's greatest secret agent, then he is absolutely unquestionably one of the most corrupt politicians in American history, if not the most corrupt. He is literally serving as an illegitimate president right now. Again, unless he's some kind of double agent, Joe Biden is going to go down as one of the greatest traitors in American history. He will be the new Benedict Arnold and far worse. So if the testimony doesn't matter and isn't real and the hearings are just for the public show, then we can just forget about all this stuff. This is the public show. Hunter went and talked to the Senate for a second. He came out and delivered this ridiculous speech, blamed it all on his addiction, tried to paint himself as the victim, and then he skipped his testimony. But he was subpoenaed. And now we are all supposed to feel that this is very unfair. And of course it is. We do actually have a two-tiered system of justice in this country. It is being displayed to you again right here. Most of us have already learned this lesson. So we can go on incorporating that lesson and see what else there is to learn. So this is one side of the show. What's the other side of the show? 
But we have to get mad at the unfairness of the situation. And so we have James Comer and Jim Jordan in the House putting out this statement. Comer and Jordan statement on Hunter Biden failing to appear for deposition. House Committee on Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer and Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan made the following statement after Hunter Biden failed to appear for his deposition. Hunter Biden today defied lawful subpoenas, and we will now initiate contempt of Congress proceedings. We will not provide special treatment because his last name is Biden. As our committees were today prepared to depose Hunter Biden, he chose to make a public statement on Capitol Hill instead, where he said his father, Joe Biden, was not financially involved in his family's business dealings. Exactly how was Joe Biden involved? Evidence shows Joe Biden met with Hunter's business associates and his name was at the center of the family business strategy. Today, the House will vote on an impeachment inquiry resolution to strengthen our legal case in the courts as we face obstruction from the White House and witnesses. Today's obstruction by Hunter Biden reinforces the need for a formal vote. President Biden and his family must be held accountable for their corruption and obstruction, and we will provide that to the American people. A deposition is a standard investigative procedure used by attorneys and congressional investigators. Democrats have used depositions in their investigations, including the Adam Schiff impeachment inquiry. Even Jamie Raskin emphasized the importance of depositions. So all of the illegitimate committees of Democrats used these depositions as parts of their investigations. And it's totally fair. They should be allowed to do this. But the House, as it stands right now, is not being allowed to do their job and do their investigative work. Everybody needs to understand that. Is it because the House is completely and totally illegitimate? Not according to these stories, but I guess we'll find out more about that in the future. Are the investigations going to fall apart without Hunter Biden's deposition before Congress? No, of course not. Why would anyone depend on an illegitimate body of unelected regime political stooges to actually do this investigation properly or see that anyone in power is held accountable? No one should trust them. And if you were one of the people who was directing things behind the scenes throughout this entire situation, you wouldn't trust them. You would not let Hunter Biden go be deposed by these clowns. And we are quite clearly seeing that he will not be deposed. Now, recall back to the middle of 2022 when we had the illegitimately formed sham January 6th committee and their primetime TV spectacular produced by an actual television producer. It was a TV show for the country. It was not a real congressional committee. It was not formed according to House rules. But despite that, they subpoenaed Peter Navarro and Steve Bannon, who did not appear before the sham and illegitimate committee. And then they were pursued and held in contempt of Congress for not showing up. Now, of course, they would not show up for an illegitimate sham committee. And once their appeals process is concluded, it is a near certainty that they will be released from any culpability for any wrongdoing because, of course, the committee was illegitimate. No one should be required by law to show up and testify before an illegally formed body. But the important part, in a narrative sense, is that precedent was set. If you don't show up for a deposition when you are subpoenaed by Congress, 
then you will be held in contempt and prosecuted. Peter Navarro was placed for a time in leg irons. He and Steve Bannon were treated like criminals for not doing as they're told by an illegitimate government committee. But as usual, we will approach this in two ways. We can understand that Hunter Biden's deposition to Congress is not needed in any way. So that doesn't matter. Joe Biden is not a legitimate president and should not be impeached. I would imagine that the impeachment vote will fail tonight, probably by one or two votes. Everyone will freak out at the Republican establishment. They will talk about Mike Johnson's leadership. We're going to get the whole thing. We're going to be told how Hunter never had to show up for his deposition. And now Joe Biden will not be held accountable. We're not even going to get this impeachment inquiry. And hey, maybe we will, by the way. I still believe there is virtually no chance we're going to proceed to an actual impeachment. And I hope we don't. Joe Biden's not legitimate. And there's no way of convicting him on that impeachment and removing him. Not that that would be beneficial anyway. But we're not going to see those things happen unless, of course, that impeachment proceeding will be the public disclosure about Joe Biden and he'll stay in office. Hey, that's what we saw with Donald Trump. Maybe we will see the exact reverse. If that's what it takes for everyone to see the uniparty in full bloom, then so be it. But on the surface level, we get yet another example of the two-tiered system of justice, and we get the entire public understanding at the same time Hunter Biden is just ignoring congressional subpoenas, and he and his father may well evade accountability for a career of political corruption and criminality. All these things that people wanted to ignore, the things that people wanted to pretend were not true about the Bidens when they voted for Joe Biden, all of that is being thrown right in their faces. The entire public can see it. What does it look like right now for someone to deny the problems of Hunter Biden and the corruption of the Biden family? I often talk about a dinner party, 10 people. Think about how those people would react. If someone brought up Hunter Biden and the evidence of his dirty foreign dealings, the drugs and the hookers, the guns and the taxes, the involvement of Joe Biden and James Biden and Sarah Biden and many of the kids three years ago, it would have only been someone like you or someone like me actually saying that and everyone else would be silent. Oh, I don't know if that's true. Oh, I don't know if that's true. Because three or four or five or six people at that table would never believe it. Joe Biden was the hero. He was the guy who was there to take down that bad orange man. But nobody is going to take the Biden side of things now. I mean, yes, maybe if you're around a bunch of real shit libs. But if the table of 10 has even a few normal people among them, it is very unlikely that some pro-Biden person is going to stand up and defend the Bidens because they know that everyone else at the table knows the proof is all there. They've seen it. They've seen the stories. They've seen the headlines for three years. They know that where there is smoke, there is fire. The denials at this point sound completely and totally detached from reality. Now think about what we have so far. We have the disclosure beginning on the dangers of the vaccines and these excess deaths that's now coming into the mainstream understanding. It is going to be unavoidable. People will just have to deal with that as a reality in the world. Most people have. And that is why so few people 
got the last COVID booster or whatever they're calling it. The new updated shot. That's not a booster. This is for special things. What we are seeing is the understanding of what quote unquote, everybody knows is shifting before everybody knows that the vaccines were okay. And that the problems were either a conspiracy theory or really rare. Now that is becoming unavoidable. Same thing with the Hunter Biden stuff. It was a conspiracy theory. The laptop was Russian disinformation. Joe Biden wasn't involved. This is just a Hunter problem and Hunter's not the president. Hunter's an addict. And maybe this is nepotism, but come on, everybody does a little nepotism sooner or later. Well, now we have Hunter avoiding a congressional subpoena for a deposition on the same day the House is going to vote on whether or not to launch a formal impeachment inquiry against the fake President Joe Biden. Those are two major storylines which were ignored for a very, very long time, now being put right in everyone's faces. And let's just briefly touch on one more. This is Julie Kelly today on X, formerly Twitter. Holy shit. Supreme Court will review 1512 C2 obstruction of an official proceeding case. This is the felony used against 300 plus J sixers and represents half of Jack Smith's indictment against Trump. If SCOTUS determines DOJ has misused the statute, this will be a game changer. And she links to an article of hers from November 1st, which I will get to in just a second. She continued. This is a day so many J sixers have been waiting for lives destroyed, people rotting in prison, all because Biden's DOJ abused a post Enron evidence tampering statute. And what will Jack Smith do now? Two of four counts in his indictment in jeopardy. This is potentially more impactful than the immunity issue. And that immunity issue is on its way to the Supreme Court. Jack Smith is trying to bypass the appeals process and get the issue sent directly to the Supreme Court, where they will determine whether or not a president would be immune from prosecution in something he believes to be the proper execution of his duties as president. The argument, of course, being Donald Trump knew the elections were stolen, and it is then his duty as president to pursue those claims of election theft and election fraud. Julie Kelly writes of Jack Smith, will he drop the 1512 C2 related counts? Will he seek a superseding indictment with other charges? Trump's lawyers presumably will file a motion to dismiss those counts. And so let's just go through a bit of her article from November 1st of this year in Real Clear Investigations, Untested Legal Imaginations, the mother of Trump and January 6th prosecutions. Donald Trump doesn't know Thomas Robertson, but the former president's fate appears inextricably tied to that of the former army ranger who was convicted last year for his involvement in the J6 protest at the U.S. Capitol. That's because the prosecutions of Trump and his supporters, including Robertson, have often depended on reimagining the law in novel ways. To advance the narrative that Trump colluded with Russia, for example, the Department of Justice seized on the little-used Foreign Agents Registration Act, that's FARA, to justify probes and wiretaps of Trump allies. 
in the Georgia election fraud case against Trump and numerous campaign advisors, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis is using a law intended to combat organized crime, the RICO Act, in what even her supporters describe as a stretch. In Washington, D.C., prosecutors are using a financial crime statute passed by Congress in 2002 in response to the Enron scandal to bring felony charges against hundreds of January 6th defendants, including Trump and Robertson. Lawyers for both and for other J6 defendants argue the law is being misapplied. The controversy could soon wind up before the Supreme Court, and that is the announcement today. Defense attorneys say the government is using the power of law enforcement to misinterpret and even weaponize nebulous language in the legal code. In three separate motions filed on October 23rd, Trump's lawyers repeatedly raised objections based on the vagueness factor of the four counts in special counsel Jack Smith's January 6th criminal indictment against Trump. Those four charges are conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct, conspiracy against rights, and obstruction of an official proceeding. President Trump's alleged conduct, publicly and politically disputing the outcome of the election, attempting to convince Congress to act, and allegedly organizing alternate slates of electors, falls outside the plain language of the charged statutes. John Loro, Trump's lead attorney in the January 6th case, wrote in a motion to dismiss the charges. One of the key statutes in question is 18 U.S. Code Section 1512 C2, part of the 2002 Sarbanes-Oxley Act passed by Congress to prevent fraudulent financial reporting by corporations. The statute was meant to close a loophole in other obstruction laws related to the destruction of evidence, but left open to the interpretation the terms corruptly and official proceeding in the following passage to the point where defense lawyers claim it can be used to criminalize political activity. And here is the citation 18 U.S. Code 1512. Whoever corruptly alters, destroys, mutilates or conceals a record, document or other object, or attempts to do so with the intent to impair the object's integrity or availability for use in an official proceeding, or two, otherwise obstructs, influences, or impedes any official proceeding, or attempts to do so, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. Julie Kelly writes, DOJ's legal basis rests on the argument that the joint session of Congress held on January 6th to debate and certify the 2020 election was an, quote, official proceeding, end quote, as opposed to a ceremonial gathering. Those who interrupted Congress, prompting a six-hour delay or planned to disrupt it, committed that particular obstruction felony prosecutors contend. So the validity of those claims is now going to the Supreme Court. And that's happening because Donald Trump is accused of violating this rule, as were many of the J6 defendants, over 300, according to Julie Kelly. So if the Supreme Court decides in Trump's favor here that this section cannot be applied or was misapplied, then the J6 defendants would be entitled to have their charges dropped or dismissed on the same grounds. And Julie Kelly's article continues. It's actually fairly long, a fairly in-depth explanation 
of these claims under 18 U.S. Code Section 1512 C2. This is what she said a couple hours later on X, formerly Twitter. As I reported several days ago, as we awaited SCOTUS decision on 1512 C2, this represents a collision course with Jack Smith. SCOTUS likely will hear oral arguments in March or April, the same time Trump is on trial for the same charge. And in parentheses, she says, if March 4th trial date sticks, which seems impossible now. But let's say it sticks and Trump is convicted by a D.C. jury. Then SCOTUS comes down with the decision in June that reverses how DOJ and Smith interpreted 1512 C2. The same month, Judge Chutkin would be prepared to sentence Trump. Bonkers. And so she's saying that Jack Smith trial with Tanya Chutkin could happen in March if that trial date of March 4th is not delayed any further. If she then goes ahead and convicts Donald Trump and then not too long after the Supreme Court decides with Donald Trump relative to this issue, that would completely blow up the conviction in that Jack Smith case. And imagine what that would tell the general public. All of these hundreds of J6 protesters were charged under this obscure rule related to financial statements that the Department of Justice under the fake president misapplied intentionally to these J6 protesters and then misapplied intentionally to Donald Trump. And for what purpose? Election interference. I often try to imagine what it would be like to be one of these standard issue villagers, particularly on the uniparty left. You spent years arguing with virtually no support whatsoever, no evidentiary support, no logical support, no moral support. There is no case to be made for their side on any of these issues, but they have made it as hard and as angrily as they can for three years. And now they are seeing it fall apart. And it's not just these little chinks in the armor that have come every couple of weeks for the last three years that they will find some debunking to. They will find some explanation that they believe sounds plausible. It's enough for the rest of their fellow child brains who don't want to pay any attention at all. They just hear some headline pop up and then they search around. They see, oh, all the experts say that's no problem. And they just ignore it again. But the people who have been ignoring it and the people who have been actively fighting against it, they're not going to have anywhere left to stand on any of this stuff. Because once, quote unquote, everybody knows they can't use the same arguments anymore. Everyone has already heard those arguments. All these people who are not at all on our timeline and do not engage with the information environment we live in. They already know all those arguments. They've already accepted all those arguments. They may have even repeated those arguments when those arguments fall apart and they understand that no one believes the things they themselves have been saying for years. It's not like all the arguments and the debunkings, everything that they used to avoid the truth of these situations for three years. It's not like that stuff is going to work again and start convincing people to go back to it. If you hold a position and you find out your position is not only wrong, it's the opposite of what everyone else can clearly see. The likelihood of you being convinced that your initial position was correct, 
even though everyone can now see it's wrong and has moved away from it, is like zero. You don't go from pretending that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes, for instance, to understanding there's absolutely no way that could have happened and no proof anywhere that it did, and then get reconvinced that you were right the first time. They would actually have to show you the 81 million real lawful American votes, and they can't do that because those votes don't exist and our elections aren't real. And things have already progressed irretrievably in that direction. That is why the direction of the understanding, the direction of what the collective mind is believing, that can't be reversed. People are moving from bad positions to good positions. There is no way to resupport the bad position and bring people back to it. So what do you need to do if you're the regime and you still want to keep people penned in? You still want to keep them within that central narrative bubble. Well, the bubble has to expand to account for and contextualize where the collective mind is going. Burning Bright and I talked about this a little bit last night on Badland Story Hour. I've talked about it on this podcast many times. There is a clip available on Rumble. If you search Ben Shapiro's Diner from an episode of this podcast I did like a year ago, talking about how Ben Shapiro was basically a place where you might stop off for a little while. You're driving down the highway. Your destination is in sight. You are moving that direction and you feel like getting some gas, using the bathroom, having a bite. So you stop off at Ben Shapiro's diner and then you never, ever leave. They just keep you in the diner. You had your destination. You were on the way there. You got sidetracked. You're just going to stay in Ben Shapiro's diner forever. That's what has to happen. The regime has to incorporate your new understanding and then misdirect you, guide you to a place that they can still deal with you. And that's what the controlled opposition is for. And so let's get to the last thing I really want to talk about. So we discussed on Monday how Tucker Carlson had interviewed Alex Jones. That interview was finally put up on X, formerly Twitter. And over the weekend, Alex Jones was invited back to the X, formerly Twitter platform. All of the very important Twitter people got together in Twitter spaces to talk about how free speech was the most important thing ever, even though besides Elon Musk, virtually none of them had ever actually stood up for free speech or had their own speech inhibited in any meaningful way. Tucker Carlson then announced the beginning of the Tucker Carlson Network, a subscription service you would pay $9 a month for the Tucker Carlson Cinematic Universe of Content. And hey, maybe that's a good thing. I still hold out some optimism for Tucker Carlson, and I wish him luck and a great many subscribers at $9 a month for his content. Not everybody really wants to get down in the dirt and the weeds and figure out what's going on. There is a market for slightly edgy, uniparty right, normie content. And if Tucker is able to bring them all out of that into the real world, then congratulations, Tucker. He was interviewed on Steve Bannon's war room this morning, and Tucker reiterated that his primary goal was helping people awaken to this reality that has been obscured from them for so long. And Tucker said that he also has gone through that awakening process. He was raised in that kind of DC elite environment and the media elite environment. It was all he knew. 
And over the course of the last two decades, he has progressively woken up to the fact that much, if not all of that was a lie. So he's saying all the right things, except about election fraud. In terms of people in the mainstream, he has probably mentioned it the most times. He made slight allusions to it every now and then on Fox News, and he hints at it here and there. He has talked about how Joe Biden is a dictator, but he has never gone really all the way into election fraud. Now, were all those little bits and pieces, all those little hints over the last three years, were they building towards something? possible? Were they part of a very, very slow disclosure op? And Tucker is doing exactly what he has to do to wake people up at the proper speed. I'm open to the interpretation, but the election fraud thing is the most accurate litmus test I've seen. And it is a very, very important one. If you are trying to figure out who is an ally and who can be trusted, who is pursuing the proper goals and who has a legitimate commitment to truth. Because if you're going to go along pretending that Joe Biden actually received 81 million real lawful American votes and our country has not been usurped, at least to the extent that any of this Joe Biden, quote unquote, presidency is real, then it's real hard to trust you because all of the political analysis that one might produce is immediately null and void if you don't understand that our elections aren't real and that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. It's actually mind blowing to see the conversations that happen on X, formerly Twitter, about anything political, assuming that Joe Biden is a legitimate president and our elections can produce legitimate results and that we are just in a normal state of politics in this country. None of that is true. Nothing could be more obvious. And yet people who we're told are smart and on our side just continue along as if everything is normal. And in fact, they perpetuate people's misunderstanding that things are normal when they are not. Now, I have said for a very, very long time that it would be inevitable that the truth about our elections would come into full view of the American public. And I still believe we are headed toward that point. And I think that we are beginning to see the mainstream's full embrace of that reality and I think we have a pretty major example of it right here. This is Tucker Carlson, who's doing a massive media tour right now and being mentioned as a potential Trump vice president. He's also keynoting the AmFest this weekend, the Turning Point event. But here he is with standard issue uniparty right villager and mass media personality, Megyn Kelly, who did the red carpet interviews for Daily Wire's movie about male athletes in women's sports, lady ballers, that Megyn Kelly, the Megyn Kelly, who was the moderator of the fake GOP primary debate last week. Here's Tucker Carlson with Megyn Kelly. If, if this judge Chutkin in D.C., this federal judge, because we assume Trump's going to get convicted in that case. I mean, the smart bet would be this D.C. jury convicts him because they hate him politically. Ninety two percent voted for Joe Biden and she hates him um, that if they if she puts him in jail pending appeal before the election, the country's going to burn. And then all this blowback, you know, all these people say, oh, my God, she's calling for violence. I'm not calling for violence, but the, there is no way the Trump base is not going to be beside itself with anger at that level of deprivation of being able to simply vote for the candidate of choice. That's what's being 
taken away here. Like to your point. Now, let's just pause right there before we get into more of the election related stuff. She is saying that Judge Chutkin and other judges dealing with Trump cases, if they go and lock him up, that's election interference. They're telling the public you're not allowed to vote for this guy. And this is coming from someone, Megyn Kelly, who is, for the most part, an election fraud denier and has been for three years. She's one of those people who makes the case that the elections were stolen legally. Democrats just know how to run that election system so well with the ballot chasing and the ballot harvesting and the mail-in voting and the early voting. They're just taking advantage of the system as it exists. And Republicans, they're not doing the same thing. That's how they stole it. Or they stole it through the big tech censorship of Hunter Biden laptops, or they stole it through the lawfare and made it so that Donald Trump wouldn't be able to win any of his cases. But whatever it is, Joe Biden didn't actually steal the election. It might have been rigged for him and rigged against Donald Trump, but he didn't outright steal it. And we can't say that anybody actually did anything wrong and we can't actually prove any of this stuff. Which means that Joe Biden is still a legitimate president because the process just went all the way through and you got to trust her because she's a lawyer. So that person is finally understanding that the regime might have it in its interest to prevent people from exercising their right to vote for Donald Trump. But don't worry, it didn't happen in 2020. Now she's saying if that happens, if they try to put Trump away and prevent people from exercising their right to vote, well, then we might see violence. That's the thing. Trump supporters, you know how violent they are. Remember back in 2020 when we were told about the Transition Integrity Project and all the plans to deal with those violent Trump supporters afterwards? They would have street action, just like all that violence from the summer of 2020 when Trump supporters were out there destroying cities and looting stores and beating and robbing people and murdering police officers. Oh, no, wait, that was that was the Democrats. That was the regime. That was Black Lives Matter, Antifa, domestic terrorists. That was not Trump supporters at all. But you know how violent Trump supporters were on January 6th. Oh, wait, that wasn't uh, that wasn't them either. That was actually instigated by various groups, some of them law enforcement, some of them seemingly Ukrainian Nazis. What are they doing there? But, you know, those Trump supporters, they don't get their way and then they start civil wars. And that's what all of this has ultimately been leading to. Right. We're going to have a civil war and MAGA is going to start it because of all their grievances and because of Donald Trump, the authoritarian dictator. It's a strange narrative for a major mass media figure to be pushing, considering that she has ignored the primary grievance that all of these people have for over three years now. People act like when media figures like Megyn Kelly or like Tucker Carlson say a few things about election fraud or about how Joe Biden might not be the most popular president of all time, or he might not be all that legitimate. People think that those are little crumbs. They're just guiding their audience toward the awakening very, very slowly. And all of the rationalizations and excuses they're making about how the country hasn't actually been usurped. And we should just go on treating everything as normal. Let's focus on these fake primaries. Let's focus on the 2024 election. Let's talk about who Donald Trump's vice president is going to be. But those aren't all crumbs. Those aren't slow disclosures. Those are little baby limited hangouts to say, hey, yeah, we know that the uh, election was stolen, but 
We're not going to allow you to call it a usurpation. We're not going to allow you to call Joe Biden illegitimate. We're just going to say, yeah, okay, you're not totally crazy. Are you happy now? Please shut up. We're going to keep going. We understand that you think this is some unbelievable injustice, but you're not allowed to actually say that. And we're not going to say it. So be happy that at least we're telling you that it was stolen legally. You get it? It was stolen, but legally. So that means it's okay. We're telling you that the regime just got real tricky with all those election laws that they put in place. And so they stole it from Donald Trump. They made sure that the people's voice wouldn't be heard and wouldn't be enacted. But you'll be happy to know they did it legally. Now, if you don't accept their answer, and you keep acting upset about it, well, then they're going to get scared. What do you mean you don't accept our answer that the election was stolen legally? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to keep saying it was stolen illegally and that the country was usurped? Well, if you keep saying that when we've told you we're not going to allow you to say that, I guess what is next? You're going to start violence and that really is what's being pushed. We've heard Tucker and many others talk about how Donald Trump might be assassinated. And now we're talking about civil war just so that people in positions of power who have been election fraud deniers for over three years now don't ever have to tell the truth or be held accountable. And that is what we are dealing with here. People in power do not want to be held accountable for the positions they have taken to support power, to increase their own power, to respond to the incentive and punishment structure within the party of false decorum. People with major platforms like these two and like Tim Pool and Joe Rogan and many of the other people we've talked about this week, they're making a million dollars a week to lie to everybody, to keep everybody in the dark, to keep them trapped in an informational past. And they're figuring out ways to ultimately blame it on us for saying, hey, guys, that's not OK. We see what you're doing. We know the truth. We can see you're lying. And now you're saying that we are going to start a civil war after three years of doing this the right way and trying to communicate the truth about it to our fellow Americans and having that work. Now that you have to incorporate this narrative, it's going to be us starting a civil war. No, 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 no. But it's not just normie newscasters who are doing this. Here is an upcoming film to be released in April 2024 from a great filmmaker, by the way, Alex Garland, who made 28 Days Later and one of my favorite films, Annihilation. He made the dystopian AI film, Ex Machina. He made the TV series about AI, Devs. He's just a brilliant guy, a brilliant filmmaker with a really interesting insight on this burgeoning technocracy. And I don't know whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. I just know that he has a very interesting and engaging way of illustrating the issues around these technological advancements and what it means for society in really powerful, gripping films. They just released the trailer for this film today, and here is the audio from that trailer. 19 states have seceded. The United States Army ramps up activity. The White House issued warnings to the Western forces as well as the Florida Alliance. The three-term president assures the uprising will be dealt with swiftly. Let me know if you want to try anything on. I'm just aware there's like a pretty huge civil war going on all across America. We just try to stay out. 
with what we see on the news seems like it's for the best. Citizens of America, the so-called Western forces of Texas and California have suffered a very great defeat at the hands of the United States military. Mr. President, do you regret the use of airstrikes against American citizens? We're moving to D.C. today. You need to go down there. They shoot journalists on sight in the Capitol. Every instinct in me says this is death. Bloody. Every time I survived the war zone, I thought I was sending a warning home. Don't do this. But here we are. There's some kind of misunderstanding here. What? Well, you're American, okay? Okay. What kind of American are you? You don't know? <laughs> the Western forces will reach the White House on July 4th. Oh my God. Get in the car! Get in the car! One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. God bless America. Now the movie looks awesome. I will absolutely go see that on opening weekend. There could not be a film that is more directly up my alley than that one. But that said, it's very, very weird to have that film dropping next year. The marketing push beginning for it right now. By the way, during that trailer, it flashes onto the screen. All empires fall. It's just a bit of a strange message to be going into an election cycle. And that has to be placed in context with the illegitimate government referring to us as domestic terrorists, the consistent propaganda for eight years now about how Trump supporters are mean and stupid and violent. And they have all these grievances, all of these imagined slights inflicted upon them by the elites, all these conspiracy theories that they believe because they're so stupid. They're all going to be violent and they're going to be especially violent if you make it seem like they can't vote for Donald Trump, if you're going to take away their rights. And don't be confused about what this is. They're not giving us a warning about where things might go. They're trying to psyop us into a civil war because they are running out of options. How are they going to get the American people all back on the same page? And how are they going to seize again? control over the United States of America, especially in the situation where Donald Trump is once again publicly recognized as president, which may require him winning an election in 2024. I talked last week about how in a world of fake elections, all that matters in terms of winning an election is winning the public narrative, making it clear to the public that there is no way anyone other than Donald Trump or whoever else might be running in a different scenario, could possibly win. 
It doesn't matter if they have the apparatus rigged in these primary states, which is what they're certainly trying to do. Chris Sununu went on television with Nikki Haley this morning in New Hampshire and asked New Hampshire independents and Democrats to come vote in the New Hampshire Republican primary for Nikki Haley. They're doing whatever they can to eliminate Donald Trump. But the only way they can do it successfully is if they can somehow create a narrative through line that would communicate to people that Donald Trump actually could have lost to Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or whoever else. And they've been totally unsuccessful at doing that. No one could possibly believe that Donald Trump will lose the primary to Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley. It's preposterous. And after that point, we will see potentially some people who have supported these other uniparty right candidates or maybe Vivek Ramaswamy come back to Donald Trump and his support will increase and the rest will go oppose him in the Lincoln Project or they'll back Liz Cheney or something else ridiculous. Maybe some of them will go to RFK Jr. But then they're going to have to try to convince the public that there is some way that Joe Biden or Liz Cheney or Gavin Newsom or RFK Jr. or whoever it ends up being could possibly beat Donald Trump. And that's not going to work either, particularly after it is impossible to ignore evidence of stolen elections. We've discussed this before. At that point, they're going to have to try something else. The first thing will be to attempt to subvert Donald Trump. Maybe they can get a handler in there as vice president, and that person can subvert Donald Trump from the inside. Maybe they'll be able to keep enough of the deep state there, but those probably aren't going to work either. So then they have to call Donald Trump a dictator and a Nazi, and they've been fully engaged in that effort, but that's not going to work either. So they're running out of options. What's left? Well, maybe they could try violence on the streets and call Donald Trump an illegitimate president as he tries to deal with that problem. We already had the preview of that from 2020. We had violence in the streets and the public narrative was that Donald Trump's hands were tied. He could not act. He could not use the Insurrection Act. He could not send the National Guard anywhere. And if he did, they would call those National Guard troops Donald Trump's stormtroopers. We saw all of that when they tried to defend the federal courthouse in Portland for over a hundred consecutive nights. But let's get back to Megyn Kelly and Tucker Carlson and hear Tucker's response. Well, yeah. And, you know, speaking of violence, that's what you're going to get. And speaking as someone who detests violence, and I, I've seen war, that's why I detest violence. So I spent a lot of my career trying to argue against more wars because I think violence is the worst thing. But I'm just being honest here. If you leave people no alternative, then what do you think is going to happen? I mean, the whole point of electoral democracy is that it's a pressure relief valve that takes people who are very frustrated with the way things are going and gives them a way to express themselves, have their desires heard, and ultimately their will done to be represented a peaceful way. And if you take that away, if you haven't staged an unfair election, which 2020 was, you know, if you if you suppress information that voters need to make an informed decision, you're rigging the election. And they did that. So mm -hmm. if you keep doing that and people are like, wait, I have no economic power. You've devalued my currency. So it's like eleven dollars for a dozen eggs and my vote doesn't matter anymore. Well, then what do I have? Like, what power do I have? And 
you know, you're, you're going to get violence if you keep this shit up. And that's just the truth. And I yeah. am very upset about that. I don't want that to happen. I think the counter violence will be much more extreme than the violence. But um, any ra rational person can see what's coming. So they have to stop this. The charges against Trump are not real. They're not even for serious crimes. I was told Trump was like a murderer and had killed a bunch of people in New Jersey or something. They, he didn't even cheat on his taxes. And they're mm -hmm. treating him like a felon at the same time. Like they protect, you know, Epstein until they have to murder him in his cell. It's like it's insane. And it's all on public display. Everybody knows what's going on. So I do think the people in charge, the people who are pulling the strings on Tanya Chutkin or whatever these ridiculous front people they hire, um, those people need to really think this through a little bit. You're about to wreck the country. Don't do this, please. Yeah. And yet, day after day, we continue to get more ridiculous think pieces like the one I mentioned at Axios, which is very worried about the white men in Trump's imaginary second cabinet uh, that are sounding the alarm as follows. One of the terrible things we're going to see under a second Trump term, they want to target and jail their critics. <laughs> Hello. Hundreds of okay. people have gone to jail for criticizing Biden in the last right. election. Honest, to mention what, what they're doing to Donald Trump in four different courtrooms, criminal courtrooms, forget the civil, right now. The rest of the list is kind of funny, Tucker. This is what Axios wants us to worry about. Um, they're also threatening in a second Trump administration to, de to deport undocumented immigrants. <laughs> uh, hello? Uh, to unleash the military, to target drug cartels in Mexico or possibly crack down on criminals or protesters at home. I laugh. I'm like, this is, are they trying to drive GOP turnout here? Because this is, this is not going to have the effect they intend. You know, you do, I mean, I, I do think that in five years we won't have outlets like Axios or NBC News. I mean, I do think the whole, whole edifice is crumbling. But in the meantime, you would like to get, say, 300 Haitian immigrants and move them by force into the home of that reporter or anybody <laughs> who doubts the severity of what it means to live in a country with no borders. Like they, they're immune from the effects of these insane country destroying policies. And so they don't care, but it would be nice to sort of make it a little more personal for them. It's like, oh, you care so much about refugees. Here's three dozen. You're now responsible for them. No, they're not getting welfare. You're paying for them. How's that? You educate their kids. You know, you share a bathroom. Like I, I just, I'm totally over this. This is the destruction of our country. We're watching it in real time. I was born here. I have no other passport. I'm not going anywhere else. So I'm going to have to live with this and so are my children and, God willing, my grandchildren. And it's being abetted by the news media. They're not calling the shots, but they're defending them and encouraging them. And I, and I really do hope that they feel the sting of the things they're defending at some point, that it's not just working class whites in southern Ohio or Vermont who are having to live with this crap. You know what I mean? It really should come to Logan Circle very soon. Now, again, I really like Tucker and I'm very optimistic that Tucker is a good man and on the right side of things and doing all of this for the right reasons. I am far less optimistic about Megyn Kelly, but I hope that she proves herself to be a good person and doing all of this for the right reasons as well. This isn't about them. Consider the irony of how Tucker left off there. And maybe he's intending this to be ironic. He is a clever person and he is able to very subtly make points that other people might not be so subtle about. And he is very effective at making those points that way sometimes. But he just turned responsibility right back to the news media. And he's concerned 
that they have been lying to the people about the situation in the country for too long. And he's talking to somebody who lies about the situation in our country when it comes to elections. And Tucker is not in a great place himself. Yes, he is better than everyone else in the mainstream media, but that is a very, very low bar to cross. Our country is definitely awakening slowly to the reality of our stolen elections, but people like Tucker Carlson and Megyn Kelly and Joe Rogan and Tim Poole, and you can go on down the list, all the Daily Wire guys, all the Blaze guys, the Ronop, all of it, all of those people have held back the public's understanding about our stolen elections. They have not propelled that forward. They are not responsible for awakening the public to these problems. And it is maybe the most critical problem to awaken the country to. Now, if it is the last in a series of small awakenings that eventually leads to a certain point where they awaken to the really big things, and this is all set out on a timeline, then wonderful. Okay, then wonderful. But we don't know that to be true, and we can't assume that that is true when we are guiding our own thoughts and actions and communications. So it ultimately sounds like what we have is two very wealthy and famous and prominent and secure people now concerned that their level of comfort might eventually be put in jeopardy by the way the country is falling apart, and they want to shift the responsibility for communicating the hardest possible messages to other people who aren't them, even though they haven't done it. And so once again, let's look at this in two ways. Is it a good thing? that a conversation recognizing the reality of election manipulation and interference is going to be seen by virtually every politically aware, quote unquote, conservative that there is. Standard issue villagers on the uniparty right will very likely see or listen to this interview because both of these people are major media personalities in mainstream, quote unquote, conservatism. So to that extent, the election manipulation, election theft narratives are clearly beginning to break that central narrative bubble. And we are on a visible glide path toward the country finally understanding and beginning to incorporate into its thinking the reality of stolen elections in our country. All of that is good. On the flip side, there is clearly an op taking place, and we cannot know for certain whether that op is a good thing or a bad thing. You don't go from interviewing Alex Jones, having Alex Jones come back on X, participating in Twitter spaces with Alex Jones and Elon Musk and all the conservative influencers, announcing a new media project, a new media network. The week after we get reports and rumors about Tucker potentially being a front runner as Donald Trump's vice president, all of that murmuring Tucker flying around the world to interview the leaders of the sovereign alliance. And that speaks very well to the optimistic interpretation about Tucker Carlson. Don't get me wrong. Again, I really like the guy. And then, of course, he's giving the keynote address at the major conservative political action conference this weekend. That's a lot of stuff happening all at one time while the talk of election fraud is happening, while the talk of potential assassination of Donald Trump is happening, while the talk of civil war is happening. All of these things are now converging and being pushed together. And it's wonderful that it's going to break into the public's common understanding, 
But it seems like that latent understanding, that latent sentiment about elections being stolen is now being misdirected. It is being directed into a place that it is controllable by the regime. Everyone is being directed into Ben Shapiro's diner, maybe right next to Ben Shapiro's diner. Tucker has a hunting and fishing lodge and Megan Kelly has a little shop where she serves tea and sells crystals. It's all just right there off the freeway exit. And there's more than enough for you to do. You can stay there all the time forever. You never actually have to keep traveling down that road to the ultimate awakening because that won't matter. You'll be so happy. You can eat at Ben Shapiro's diner. You have activities over at Tucker's Lodge. And for the ladies, you can sit around all day in an Instagrammable environment talking about how the magic crystals will fix all the troubles in your relationship life. It's basically the perfect place to ride out the civil war in comfort, both mentally and physically. And that's what all these people want. Honestly, let's avoid the problems. That's why they've ignored the problems for the last three years and lied to us about what the cause of those problems is. Why would we bother getting to the roots of it if we can just exchange psyops all day and even psyop one another? There's an old saying, it's turtles all the way down. And that is based on this old story and no one knows exactly where it came from. But the popular view is that it was said at a talk given by the philosopher Bertrand Russell, a lady proposed that the world rested on the back of a turtle. And the question was then, well, what is underneath that turtle? And she said, another turtle. And underneath that turtle was another turtle. And it was just turtles all the way down to infinity. I tweeted the other day that it is psyops all the way down and it is psyops all the way down. And upon realizing it, then the question becomes, what is this psyop for? Who is behind it? What are the net effects? And what is the morality of it being psyops all the way down? And then, of course, you can get much more philosophical and spiritual about your conclusions to those questions. But I think ultimately what we are seeing are the first major signs of another one of those narratives kind of converging at a point where it is about to break into the full public understanding. Our elections are stolen. It was always inevitable for the public to understand this. Now the point is, how will the public react? Where will people be guided to in their new understanding? And will they come to understand the full impact of the fact that our elections are stolen? Will they think it's only about Donald Trump or will they realize that it happens in their local government, in their little towns and their cities and their states? Will they understand that their school boards are illegitimate? Will they understand that it is the process itself that is corrupted? It was not a one-off thing to go after Donald Trump. It is the entire process and the entire process must be reformed if people want to have faith in their elections. If we're not going to have elections anymore, if we're not going to have a government anymore, then fine. I guess we can begin thinking about what that would look like. But if we're going to have a government and we're going to have elections, then they need to be legitimate elections that can be checked and that are transparent because the public knowing that our elections are stolen and nothing being done about them is unsustainable. And that is where Megyn Kelly seems to be steering people. Well, 
if we actually get into all of this and understand all of it, well, then violence is going to break out. So maybe we should just understand that Trump had his election stolen from him. We'll just let Trump win and then we'll move on from there. We'll try to retain the House and the Senate in Democrat hands. We'll tell people that what the American public wanted was divided government. They were frustrated with Joe Biden and his corruption. And it would have been better if Democrats had listened to the American people and replaced Joe Biden on that ticket, but they didn't. So Trump won, but the American people were worried about the potential for Donald Trump to be able to exercise his worst impulses. And so they put in a Democratic House and Senate through election fraud this week. A local news outlet called Metro News, the voice of West Virginia, ran this headline, gubernatorial candidate Mac Warner, quote, the election was stolen and it was stolen by the CIA. West Virginia's chief elections officer, now a candidate for governor, has again said the 2020 presidential election was rigged. The election was stolen and it was stolen by the CIA. Secretary of State Mac Warner, a Republican, said Thursday night during a Metro News debate for gubernatorial candidates. Of the candidates at the debate, Warner was the only one who went so far. The article notes that fellow gubernatorial candidate, Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, who didn't attend the debate, signed West Virginia on to a 2020 federal lawsuit that sought to invalidate election results in Michigan, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania that the Supreme Court dismissed for lack of standing. The article then goes on to paint Mac Warner as a conspiracy theorist. It talks about how he has been endorsed by Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, and naturally they will do whatever they can to marginalize him so that these sorts of viewpoints are not taken seriously. But I think this is a pretty good indication of what we might be seeing in various campaigns next year. It is not going to be possible for Republican candidates to get elected pretty much anywhere while denying election fraud. And once again, it'll be a litmus test. If candidates are not talking about stolen elections in this country, it's impossible to trust them. And that presents a real conundrum if they are trying to get elected in a rigged process. Now, the best case scenario is for all of this evidence about election fraud to reach a full public acceptance through Donald Trump's trials. If that happens, Republicans are all going to have to have policies that deal with our elections. And it seems to me that any candidate who fails to address that in advance of the public fully understanding what's happened is really putting himself in an indefensible position, only speaking up for election integrity after the entire country understands that our elections are stolen. Is anyone going to believe that these politicians didn't know? Why didn't they do the work and check? Why didn't Megyn Kelly and Tucker Carlson, by the way, do the work and check? Oh, it's because they're getting paid a ridiculous amount of money to never talk about those issues. Oh, it's because they want to maintain their public reputation within the party of false decorum. They don't want to be attacked. They don't want to be called stupid or conspiracy theorists. What else could it be? Are they just so comfortable that they didn't know they figured, oh, everybody else has probably got this one right. It's probably just rumors. It's probably a hoax, just a conspiracy theory. It's just believed by all those dumb Trump supporters. No one's going to buy that. 
And then we have this from yesterday. This headline was absolutely everywhere. And Donald Trump highlighted this story as well. This is from the Heartland Institute reprinted in Yahoo Finance. Heartland Rasmussen poll, one in five mail-in voters admit to committing at least one kind of voter fraud during 2020 election. When asked, quote, during the 2020 election, did you fill out a ballot in part or in full on behalf of a friend or family member, such as a spouse or child? End quote. 21% of respondents who said they voted by mail answered yes. Filling out a ballot for someone else is illegal in all states, although many states allow people to assist others with voting. Additionally, 17% of mail-in voters said they voted, quote, in a state where you were no longer a permanent resident, end quote. 17% of mail-in voters also admitted to signing, quote, a ballot or ballot envelope on behalf of a friend or family member, end quote. Both voting in a state where you are no longer a permanent resident and forging a signature on a ballot or ballot envelope are fraudulent activities that invalidate votes when caught by election officials. According to election data, more than 43% of 2020 voters cast ballots by mail, the highest percentage in U.S. history. Now, there were about 158 million quote unquote votes counted in the 2020 presidential election. 43% of 158 million is nearly 68 million votes by mail. And so 20% of that would be around 13.6 million votes. Further, 10% of all respondents, not just those who said they voted by mail, claimed that they know, quote, a friend, family member, coworker, or other acquaintance who has admitted that he or she cast a mail-in ballot in 2020 in a state other than his or her state of permanent residence. 8% of all respondents said a friend, family member, or organization such as a political party offered them, quote, pay or, quote, reward for agreeing to vote in the 2020 election. Taken together, the results of these survey questions appear to show that voter fraud was widespread in the 2020 election, especially among those who cast mail-in ballots. The article goes through a bit of the methodology and then relays some comments from members of the Heartland Institute. Here is Justin Haskins, their director at the Socialism Research Center. The results of this survey are nothing short of stunning. For the past three years, Americans have repeatedly been told that the 2020 election was the most secure in history. But if this poll's findings are reflective of reality, the exact opposite is true. This conclusion isn't based on conspiracy theories or suspect evidence, but rather from the responses made directly by the voters themselves. A democratic republic cannot survive if election laws allow voters to commit fraud easily. And that's exactly what occurred during the 2020 election. Although some progress has been made in more than a dozen states since the conclusion of the election, much more work is needed in most regions of the United States. If America's election laws do not improve soon, voters and politicians will continue to question the truthfulness and fairness of all future elections. Here is Heartland's research editor and research fellow Jack McFerrin. 
The survey emphatically suggests that the 2020 presidential election results were contaminated by widespread voter fraud, despite the mainstream media's constant attempts to gaslight the American public into believing the opposite. Of the 30% of Americans claiming they voted by mail in this survey, at least one in every five engaged in one or more kinds of voter fraud. And then he tacks on his very safe and very ridiculous opinion that we should only be concerned about this looking forward. There's no reason to take this information and then want to relitigate the past. Heartland's vice president and director of communications, Jim Lakely, said, Anyone who believed that the 2020 election was the most secure in American history trusted a corrupt deep state more than their eyes and common sense. Yet this narrative continues to dominate corporate media coverage. Our election systems are broken in this country. If we do not fix them, including harsh punishments for those who break the law, as many admitted to in this survey, it will be impossible to trust any election moving forward. If you don't protect the integrity of the election process and every single ballot, the franchise means nothing. And we no longer live in a society governed by the actual will of the people. And here we are. Now, I don't know about you, but I have the feeling that some pretty major things are happening right now. There is a massive shift occurring. Now, it's entirely possible that all of this is kind of coming into the public understanding at the same time so that it is just so distracting for everybody, especially with the holidays going on. Maybe this is all just to take attention away from the spending that they want to pass, the National Defense Authorization Act, so they can put in new FISA standards and continue to allow themselves the power to violate Americans' privacy. They want more spending for Ukraine. They want more spending for Israel. They must have more spending for Israel. So maybe the theory is just dump it all on everyone at once and people will be so destabilized and so confused that they will be much easier to guide toward that little freeway rest stop where we have Ben Shapiro's diner and Tucker's hunting and fishing lodge and Megan Kelly's little tea and crystal shop. But this is what we need to be aware of. Eventually, the information is going to come out. People are almost numb to it at this point because it has been so long. And when they finally come to realize it, it is going to be very easy for the regime to keep them penned in simply by telling them that what is done is done and we just need to move on. Everything is still normal. Politics as usual. Just accept the scraps and the crumbs that you are given because if you don't, we're going to blame you for all the violence on the streets that, of course, we're going to start. You might think it would be crazy to actually tell people, hey, your elections aren't real and think that people will just ignore it. But this is how that process happens. They tell people that they need to ignore it unless they're going to go out and start some kind of civil war, unless they want to really become the problem. Sorry about your stolen elections, but this is no time to get upset about it. Not with another stolen election coming. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do 
by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble, and bit shoot. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at imyourmoderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash imyourmoderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.
It's hell!